Father, as we continue this service, whether in here or in the children or youth rooms, Lord, in the nursery, we trust that your anointing is with us, Lord, that you are pouring your spirit out upon all people today. Meet us right where we're at, whether young or old, Lord. We all came in here for different reasons, some just to praise the name of Jesus, others because they were dragged in here. And still, there are some that are here because they have urgent needs. Whatever the reason, Lord, again, just meet us where we're at. We need you, Jesus. We need your blood applied to our lives, as that song sang. And Lord, we trust that there's going to be a change in us. There's going to be a difference. Miracles are taking place, even as I speak. And Lord, I thank you for touching this man's lips with that hot coal, just as you did with Isaiah. Be magnified today. Be glorified in this assembly. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Now you may be seated. Thank you for coming to the Hope today. Thank you, worship team. Great job this morning. They love it when I throw things at them, like the anointing service that they didn't know about till 20 minutes before service. But that's how God works a lot of times, and we just have to be ready, right? Yeah. Well, it is time, of course, to let the youngins go. So if you're a child or you junior high, have fun. Please, God. See ya. Behave in there, Ron. Oh, you're sitting down there. I thought you were going with him. Somebody said, yeah, I don't sit in the front row because you're always picking on the front row. <laughs> Charlie, you're it, man. <laughs> well, I'm Pastor Norm Oberlin. If you don't know me, uh, I'm one of the pastors here at the Hope, and I am glad everybody's here today. Amen. So tomorrow night is Monday, church. And I'm not telling you that because I expect you to be there, but just get the word out. Let people know. You know, a lot of times you'll hear people say something like, you know, I just couldn't get there because I had to work. <gasps> Have I got something for you? And one of, the, one of the people in our church actually had this happen to them, and the, it happened to be a woman, but she got really excited. She's like, are you kidding? There's a service on Monday night because she hadn't been able to go to church. So I think it's pretty cool. And then there are those people who like to camp on weekends who think, oh, I don't have to go to church because I went camping. Well, guess what? No excuse now. I'm just messing with you. But it would be nice if uh, we saw this service just take off. And I think it, I've already had like five people on Facebook who I have not seen before uh, tell me they're coming. So that's pretty cool. And that's, that's the idea, right? We're trying to reach the people who aren't being reached. And I, I sensed when, when all this hit me years ago that that was the idea, that the Lord wanted to give these folks an opportunity. So be praying for tomorrow night, and uh, you're welcome to come if you'd like, but you don't have to. Six o'clock, six to seven. Yep, it's going to be a little shorter, but uh, that'll be a miracle. <laughs> Just saying. We'll see. 
We'll see how it goes. This is in the Lord's hands. So I am continuing. Extraordinary Living, part six. Can you believe it? Six weeks we've been spending on this topic. <laughs> Applying the life of Joseph to modern day living. I changed that subtext up a little bit. Subtitle. Um, just to say this, God has a plan and a future for each of us, doesn't he? He wants to give us a future and a hope. We're not just sitting here just languishing. Some people think that's, that's how it is being a Christian. It's like, man, if that's, how it's, if that's how you're living your life, there's something wrong. You know, we should be thriving. Even, even in the midst of adversity, we should be thriving. And that's easier said than done. I know a lot of times, hey, I'm with you. I've been there. We, we've been getting hit from every side. Pray for our well. <laughs> Here, pray for the well of the church that we get this thing fixed because it's been a nightmare. And I'm like, Lord, you know. You, you know the beginning from the end. You know what's going on. So just pray that he heals that well in the water system. And it's not, it's okay to drink it. Don't worry. If it weren't, they'd shut us down. But anyway, I'm going to leave it there. But we need your prayers with the well because it's been fun. I want to start, uh, I, I actually ended with this last week, verses 1 and 2 and then verse 14 from chapter 43, but I, I wanted to remind you of what it said because it really does lead into today. So, But the famine continued to ravage the land of Canaan when the grain they had brought from Egypt was almost gone. Jacob said to his sons, go back and buy us a little more food. So, from this point until the brothers actually left Egypt with the, the first time they went to get food. About two years has passed. That's a long time. Remember who they left behind? Who? Simeon. Simeon. And nobody even talks about poor Simeon. They're like, eh, who needs him? I mean, I suspect when he gets back home, he's going to have some words or questions to ask. Like, Dad, weren't you, like, a little worried about me? I, I don't know. Anyway, the reason that Jacob had said, no, I'm not, there's no way I'm sending my son Benjamin, was because he was afraid the same thing was going to happen to him that happened to Joseph. And he didn't want that to happen. Now, it, it does kind of show he has favorites, obviously, but the brothers told dad, they said, hey, dad, unless we take Benjamin back with us, he's not going to give us any more food. And dad had to really digest this. Kidner suggests in the Old Testament commentary, he said this, he said, it was true to situation and character that Jacob should refuse the ill-timed offer of Reuben whom in any case he distrusted. Remember Reuben? What did he offer? His two sons. He said, Dad, let me take Benjamin, and if I don't bring him back, you can kill my two sons. <laughs> Yay. 
but should accept that of Judah when famine had forced his hand. So the only reason that Jacob has changed his mind is not because he cares about Simeon so much. It's because they're hungry again. They have run out of food. And let me just say this. History has shown that people will do unusual things when they're starving. It's not a fun place to be. And as your pastor, and I'm not a gloom and doom person, but you know everybody should have a few months of something stored up. You should. Because you don't, the way things are going, we don't know. I mean, anything could happen. The shipping lanes could be interrupted again, or some stupid thing like that. You don't want to starve. And then this leads into the prayer that Jacob prayed. 43, verse 14. May God Almighty, that is El Shaddai. Say that with me, El Shaddai. I love it. May he give you mercy as you go before the man. Joseph was the man. So that he will release Simeon and let Benjamin return. But if I must lose my children, so be it. Wow. That is a heartfelt prayer. El Shaddai, God Almighty. When he prayed this prayer of faith, Jacob understood that God could do anything he wanted if he chose to. And I believe that's what this prayer is representing. If God chooses... He can save them. But if not, he was resigned to the fact that it was God's will. Do you see that here? And often that's how we have to pray. And this this whole series, if nothing else, it should get us to see that our life isn't about us as much as we think it is. And I'm going to use this term again, but we often serve in the United States an Americanized God, an Americanized Jesus, if you will. And what does that mean? That means that Jesus is here to serve me, which isn't true. We've got this thing backwards. And the Holy Spirit is saying to the church, look, I saved you for my good purpose, that you will do my bidding, that that you will live your life in honor and obedience to Jesus Christ. Christ who gave his life for you. Hallelujah. And the good news is that when this life ends, when this heart stops beating within us, we aren't just toast. Too many people believe that. There is another life. There is an afterlife. And it's called heaven. And that's where God lives, and God is right now, and Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's praying for you and me today. He's praying for this pastor right now as I give you this verbal tongue lashing that wasn't in my notes. But sometimes we need to hear the truth. Stop serving the American God. And start serving Jesus, the Hebrew God. Hallelujah. 
Moving along. I got I to gotta go quick. I, by the way, usually I digest this, and today I just felt like I was supposed to read a lot of this, so I have some slides, okay? So the men packed Jacob's gifts and doubled the money and headed off for Benjamin. With Benjamin, I'm sorry. They finally arrived in Egypt, and they presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the manager of this, his household, These men will eat with me this noon. Take them inside the palace. Then go slaughter an animal and prepare a big feast. So the man did as Joseph told him, and he took them into Joseph's palace. The brothers were terrified. <laughs> Woohoo! When they saw what they were being taken that they were being taken into Joseph's house. Listen to this. It's because of the money someone put in our sacks last time we were there. They said, "He plans to pretend that we stole it. Then he will seize us and make us slaves and he'll take our donkeys." These guys are so untrusting. The brothers approached the manager of Joseph's household and spoke to him at the entrance. I don't know if this is, maybe they thought they could run if they saw that it was going to be bad news. I'm not sure, but they said, Sir, we came to Egypt once before to buy food, but as we were returning home, we stopped for the night and opened our sacks. Then we discovered that each man's money, the exact amount paid, was in the top of his sack. Here it is. We brought it back with us. We also have additional money to buy more food. We have no idea, though, who put our money in our sacks. Can you hear the fear in these guys? When you live your life opposite of what the Lord requires from you, you know what that causes? Any, any don't raise your hand, any dope smokers in here? Marijuana smoke, cannabis smokers? What does that do to you? Paranoia. Speaking from a dark past. I don't do that anymore. But when I was younger, I did. And everywhere. Right? Isn't that what happens? You get paranoid of everything. When you are not serving the Lord, the covering of God is lifted from you. And anything can happen. And you know that in your spirit. So what's the good advice from your pastor today? <laughs> Live right. Live righteously. Live according to the scripture. And you won't have to worry. Amen? Amen. Twenty-three. Relax, he said. Oh yeah. Don't be afraid, the household manager told them. Your God, the God of your father, must have put this treasure into your sacks. I know I received your payment. This is interesting. Was he lying? As I see it, God had placed Joseph in this position, right? And Joseph was the one that put the money in their bags, had them put the money in their bags. So really, he's not lying here, because he was obeying God. And then they released Simeon. Finally, finally, the poor guy Simeon. Everybody go, oh, poor Simeon. 
The manager then led the men into Joseph's palace. He gave them water to wash their feet, and he provided food for their donkeys. They were told they would be eating there, so they prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon. Then, when Joseph came home, they gave him the gifts they had brought him. They bowed low to the ground before him. After greeting them, he asked, How is your father, the old man you spoke about? Is he still alive? Yes, they replied. Our father, your servant, is alive and well. And they bowed low again. What just happened? Thank you. Just as a reminder, here's the dream. Both times, all right? And what does it say? It says, we were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly the bundles stood up. And your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before me. This was the first time Joseph shared the dream with his brothers. And what did they do? Started plotting against him. Second time. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and eleven stars bowed low before me. So even the stars are bowing, but the eleven, I believe, is interpreted as his brothers. And they all bowed, and here, here, it took place. So what does that tell us about God? It tells us that God knows the future, right? Amen. Say it with me. God knows the future, and only God knows the future. Don't go to the Ouija board to find out what's next. Don't go to the tarot card readers. You go to God. You get on your knees and you say, Lord, if you really need to know something, what is happening next? Don't meddle in black magic. Then Joseph looked at his brother Benjamin, the son of his own mother. Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about, Jesus asked. May God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotion for his brother. He went into his private room where he broke down and wept. After washing his face, he came back out, keeping himself under control. And then he ordered, bring out the food. One of the things that I love about Scripture is it records everything. Sometimes good emotions, sometimes not so good emotions. But in this case, what it shows us is Joseph has a heart. Now realize, this is the first time he's met his little brother. Wouldn't you get choked up? And yet, they still don't know that he's Joseph. So he has to kind of keep, keep it on the, the down low, so to speak. The waiter served Joseph at his own table, and his brothers were served at a separate table. The Egyptians who ate with Joseph sat at their own table because, why? Egyptians despise Hebrews and refuse to eat with them. Now this is important for future reasons, so that's why I highlighted that in red. This is similar to how the Jews despised the Samaritans. Can we allow hatred to come into our lives if we're born-again believers. 
What about political hatred? Sure. Sometimes I hear some of you talking and I'm not convinced. Hello. Americanized Jesus. Joseph told each of his brothers where to sit and to their amazement. Did I say that already? No, I didn't. And to their amazement, he seated them according to age from oldest to youngest. And Joseph filled their plates with food from his own table, giving Benjamin, I love this, five times as much as he gave the others. So they feasted and they drank freely with him. Really, five times as much? I mean, okay, so Benjamin is probably in his early 20s here. At least that's the best guess. So he's not like a little kid. But still, I mean, I've seen teenagers eat a lot. And maybe if he was Dave, he could eat five times. I don't know. Maybe he was a big guy. I, I don't know that. Maybe Joseph looked at him and goes, man, that guy could eat half a cow. Give him more. Or was it the fact that he was the only one in the family that Joseph wasn't holding a grudge against? The Bible doesn't tell us. We get to guess that. When his brothers were ready to leave, Joseph gave these instructions to his palace manager. Fill each of their sacks with as much grain as they can, as much grain as they can carry, and put each man's money. We've seen this before. And here's the twist. Put my personal silver cup at the top of the youngest brother's sack, along with the money for his grain. So the manager did as Joseph instructed. Now when I first read this, I'm thinking, oh, you sneaky dog, you Joseph. He is setting these guys up, right? And he's just going to blow them out of the water. But guess what? Mm -mm, There's more to this story, as we're going to see here in just a minute. Joseph had a reason to do what he did here, and we'll see that in a moment. The brothers were up at dawn and were sent on their journey with their loaded donkeys. When they had got when they had gone only a short distance and were barely out of the city, Joseph said to his palace manager, "Quick, chase after them and stop them. When you catch up with them, ask them, why have you replied with my why I cannot." Thank you, Jesus. Ah, I'm trying to hurry and I'm I'm not doing well. Quit hurrying. Okay. When you catch up with them, ask them, why have you repaid my kindness with such evil? Why have you stolen my master's silver cup, which he uses to predict the future? What a wicked thing you have done. Now, in Egyptian times, the cup was used as as, as a an instrument, if you will, to see the future. Is this dark magic? Yes, this isn't from God. So they would, they would literally, they would swirl the, the wine around the cup, and the way that it swirled, they would determine what the future was. Or they would literally see some kind of reflection in it. I don't know if they just smoked something first or what, but <laughs> they saw something in it that supposedly led them to the future. But That was the idea behind this, which I thought was interesting. When the palace manager caught up with the men, he spoke to them as he had been instructed. 
What are you talking about? The brothers responded. We are your servants. We would never do such a thing. Am I on the right one? Didn't we return the money we found in our sacks? We brought it back all the way from the land of Canaan. Why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If you find his cup, watch what you say. If you find his cup with any one of us, let that man die. And all the rest of us, my Lord, will be your slaves. <laughs> his household manager knows. He put it there. <laughs> what do he say? That's fair. <laughs> But only the one who stole the cup is going to be my slave. The rest of you, you can go free. They all quickly took their sacks from the backs of their donkeys and opened them. The palace manager searched the brothers' sacks from oldest to youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Uh-oh. When the brothers saw this, they tore their clothing. You know what that means, right? That, that's like the sign of sheer fear. Uh, we're done. We're toast. It's God's judgment. Then they loaded their donkeys again and they went back to the city. Notice, this is the third time that the brothers bow to him. Joseph was still in his palace when Judah and his brothers arrived. This time they fell to the ground before him. What have you done? Joseph demanded. Don't you know that a man like me can predict the future? <laughs> woo only because of God. Judah answered, Oh my Lord, what can we say to you? How can we explain this? How can we prove our innocence? Can you hear the fear in him? God's punishing us for our sins. Here we go. My Lord, we have returned. We have all returned to be your slaves. All of us, not just our brother who had your cup in his sack. No, Joseph said. I would never do such a thing. Only the man who stole the cup will be my slave. The rest of you may go back to your father in peace. Now I'm trying to picture what Joseph's thinking at this point. Hey, wait a minute. I didn't steal it. Which one of you Yahoo stuck it? You playing a joke on me, Judah? I mean, can you imagine what the young guy's thinking? I believe that what Judah does next is what Joseph has wanted to see from his brothers from the beginning. Judah stepped forward. I love this part. And he said, please, my Lord, let your servant say just one word to you. Please do not be angry with me, even though you are as powerful as Pharaoh himself. My Lord, previously you asked us, your servants, do you have a father or brother? And we responded, yes, my Lord, we have a father who is an old man. And his youngest son is a child of his old age. His full brother is dead, they think. And he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him very much. So you can see that Jacob had a real affection for Benjamin, as well as he used to have for Joseph. And you said to us, bring him here so I can see him with my own eyes. But we said to you, my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father for his father would die. But you told us, unless your youngest brother comes with you, you will never see my face again. So we returned to your servant, our father, and told him what you had said. Later, when he said, go back and buy us more food, you notice how he skipped right over this two years. 
There's no explanation for it. They wouldn't be there now if they hadn't gotten hungry again. Later, when he said, go back and buy more food, we replied, we can't go unless you let our youngest brother go with us. We'll never get to see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then my father said to us, as you know, my wife had two sons. One of them went away and never returned. Doubtless he was torn to pieces by wild animals. And again, who's he referring to? This is what Jacob thought happened to Joseph. At least that's what he was told. I've never seen him since, his father said. Now, if you take his brother away from me and any harm comes to him, you will what? Be sending this grieving, white-haired old man to his grave. Wow. And now, my Lord, I cannot go back to my father without the boy. Our father's life is bound up in the boy's life. If he sees that the boy is not with us, our father will die. We, your servants, will indeed be responsible for sending that grieving, white-haired man to his grave. My Lord, I guaranteed to my father that I would take care of the boy. I told him, if I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the blame forever. So please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy. Let the boy return with his, father, with his brothers. For how can I return to my father... If the boy is not with me, I couldn't bear to see the anguish that this would cause my father. This is what Joseph was waiting to see from his brothers. True remorse. And let me say this. This is an aside here, but When we repent, when we come to God and ask him to forgive us of whatever it is that we've done, do you know what he wants to see? True remorse. When you watch how Judah pled his case, you see the emotion that's in it. He didn't want to have what happened the first time happen again. He knew it would literally kill his father with grief. Joseph finally removes his mask. This is a part I love. Joseph could stand it no longer. There are many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out, all of you! So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. And then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians could hear him. And word of it quickly carried to the Pharaoh's palace. How much did he cry? I mean, quite frankly, this dude must have really lost it. But he'd been carrying this for at least a couple of years since the first introduction to his brothers. And all of a sudden, the floodgates open. You know, sometimes that's how God works with us. 
You'll find yourself in a place and, and you'll just sense his presence and all of a sudden you just release it to him. And maybe there are tears or maybe not. It depends on how you're wired. But in this case, Joseph shows he was an emotional man. And all of the, the, around the palace, they heard him crying out in what I'm going to believe is joy, <laughs> I think. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? <laughs> but his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. Can you imagine? Please come closer. <laughs> I doubt any of them ran up. Give me a hug, brother. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But he's smiling. What is up with this dude? Is he thinking of how he's going to shish kebab him? you got to think, man, this is what they're... In their heads, they're, they're entertaining stuff that's probably not correct. They probably thought we're dead men. How many know what Wednesday is, men? What's Wednesday? Who said it? Who Ryan, man, you get a big old, now you better get her something. Oh, good. You already bought her flowers. Good man. It's Valentine's. 1 Corinthians 13, and, and I'm sharing this with you. My wife, this was in a devotion she read. We were coming into church this morning. She shared this. Like, oh, man, now I've got to add another scripture to this. I want you to read this with me because as I read what Joseph how he responded to his brothers who threw him in a hole to die and then turned him over to the slave traders without a thought. And all these years have passed, never came looking for him. And how he responds, because how Joseph responds to his brothers is how we must respond to those in our world, in our sphere of influence. Love is patient. Read it with me. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Amen. Would you agree with me that this defines Joseph in this moment? Let me move on here. But don't be upset. Finally, they hear the words they needed to hear. But don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. 
This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace, and the governor over all of Egypt. That had to be good news to the brothers, right? I don't think they're fearing for their lives at this point. They're probably still shaking, still wondering how the shoe's going to drop next. But Joseph, rather than lashing out at them with retribution, with, with revenge, instead, he responds out of love. That leads to this. On the other end of the prophetic dream, Joseph recognized that God, through the many twists and turns that he had to go through in his life, he recognized that God was preparing him for such a time as this. And Joseph began to understand that all of that pain and suffering that he went through, it all had a purpose. To give him a hope and a future. All of that pain and suffering kept Egypt and even his own family from starving to death. And it was because Joseph allowed God to use him and take him through that life cycle of pain and suffering and all the twists and turns that we saw. That leads to this application, if you will. Is it possible that the adversity that you have faced or are facing today, that it may be leading you to your God destiny. You don't know who or how God's going to use you. You could save maybe one life or maybe dozens or maybe a whole nation's. I don't want to put God in a box. But could it be that whatever you're facing, and, and this requires us to really think about this because some of you go through some stuff. You wouldn't wish it on your enemy, some of the things you've had to go through. But could it be that God is going to use your pain and your suffering To give others life. And it's not like what Jesus did. Don't, don't get me wrong. Only Jesus can forgive. But you have a purpose. God uses every one of us somehow, some way. Sometimes we don't even know it. Sometimes he uses us for noble purpose. Sometimes for ignoble. But God does use us. Are you willing to let him? Are you willing to go through some of the things that Joseph had to go through to be used of God 
When I started, I began talking about this Americanized Jesus, the one that serves us. What if it's the other way? What if we're to serve him? Are you willing? That's a question all of us have to answer. Amen? Amen. As I begin to close. Knowing my own experience, and I'm sharing here, When I was young, I was, I was a middle child, which always, <clears throat> the middle child is usually the one that ends up rebelling and going through all kinds of things. <laughs> I see the middle children going, yep, yep, that's me. But when I was a boy, I I had so much favor. I was cute. <laughs> Who knew? I mean, I had I had older teenage girls that had crushes on me, and I was only like seven. They had these bright blue eyes, you know. And then I hit my teen years, and everything changed. I I don't know what it was. Um, just to be, and, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to get pity points here, but I got, I broke out. I looked like pizza face. I, I've been watching the, uh, um, what do you call it, uh, Swamp People. And, and one of the boys, Little Willie, Little Willie's big now, but Little Willie, man, his face is all broken out. And I, my heart goes out to him because it's like, oh, man. Now, in the newer season, that's gone away and he's a handsome boy but you know again it people made fun of me that's what i'm saying and and it it made me who i am (laughs) i started to scrap because i was like yeah come on man you want a piece of this and I, i began to get i looked to places for emotional support, I shouldn't have looked. You know, drugs, alcohol. I had a buddy that his dad owned a party store and I was able to get anything I wanted. I had a paper route, so I had money. I drank and I took drugs to try to help me to get through those days because I hated high school. Even the teachers picked on me. I share this story because I believe there are many in this room who are, you've been there. You know, most of you weren't poster children. You weren't the, the queen of the prom. You weren't, you get what I'm saying. Most of you went through stuff. People made fun of you. Kids are mean. Sometimes adults are too, but in high school, kids are mean. You've seen the, the show Mean Girls probably. Those girls are downright mean. Hallelujah. Some of you have been mistreated, even abused. Some were even abandoned when you were young. 
you didn't have a parent. Maybe you don't even know who they are today. When we go through stuff like that, at the time, we don't understand that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. He wants to give us a hope and a future. We don't, we don't get that when you're going through it. What this series has helped me to see, and I, I think you'll agree with me, that, that God works in mysterious ways, right? We don't always understand what His plan is. Again, I, I talked about this Americanized virgin, version of Jesus that suggests that whatever we ask of Him, we're going to get. That's bad theology, This may be a wake-up call for some of you. God doesn't always check with us first to do the things that He wants to do with us or that we expect that He's going to do with us. Right? That's what the writer of Proverbs was talking about when he said, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Who determines our steps? the Lord. Furthermore, Paul said, the Apostle Paul, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he, God, makes everything work out according to our plan. Oh, I misspoke. Not our plan, but his plan. Can you see what this pastor is trying to tell you today? We serve a big God. And he knows the beginning from the end. He knows everything that's going to happen. And this brings me back to something I shared. I believe it was last week. We are the clay. God is the potter. And he is masterfully working with us in us and through us stop telling him how you want to look and let him have his way with you <laughs> and, and hear this part when you find yourself I use the word dire straits I hope you know what that means when you're in a pickle the best thing you can do is to pray like Jacob did. And I have a few things here, four things. Recognize first that you serve the Lord Almighty. Right? There is nothing that he cannot do. Right? Two, learn to rest in the fact that there will be times when God knows what's best. And in those moments, by faith, be content and recognize that God's got you. Put yourself in his embrace and just say, Lord, this may not be going the way I think it ought to, but I know you've got me. That's simple prayer. And finally, not only does he have you, your family, and I believe even this nation, he's got us. Stop worrying about the election. He's got us. 
God is in control. He's got us. God knows the ending. Out of everything, we serve a mighty God, and He knows the beginning from the end. He knows where you're headed. He knows how to get you there, and you're going to be okay. Look at your neighbor and say, you're going to be okay. You're going to get to your destination. You're going to get to your God purpose eventually. But in the meantime, man, you've just got to let God, let God. Would you stand with me? So we've watched Joseph go full circle. There's more to the story that I want to share, but I'm I'm not going to do it this week, obviously. But I believe that what the Holy Spirit was trying to impress on us is that we struggle so much against uh, what God's trying to do in our lives. And, And sometimes it's just something little that He's trying to get us to shake it off and we won't let go of it. I mean, I don't know what that is for you. I've got my own ideas for me. What is it that you're trying to hang on to that that you think you need to look like you look that God's trying to get rid of? What does he have to do? Get you to repent of that and to let it go. to, To have true remorse. To recognize God's in control. And if I want to please Him, I have to be obedient. I have to do what He says. I have to serve the kingdom. What is He trying to get you to do today that you've been hanging on to? Father, you know every person in this room, everyone watching online today. From the moment we've been born until we finally leave this world, Lord, you know everything that's going to happen already. It's not a surprise to you. So today, I, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see we don't have to look into a cup. We've got you, Holy Spirit. Show us. Show us what's what's keeping us from our God purpose. Is there anything? Maybe, maybe there are people in this room, they are right on the path that you want them to be on. You're directing their steps and they're moving toward that goal that you have for them. They're running their race well, as Paul puts it. But Lord, I've got to believe there are others in this room who are struggling with this. And they keep throwing up roadblocks and and, and trying to fight what it is you're doing in their life. Let us, Lord, truly repent today. And let you do the work in us as the potter does with the clay. May we place ourselves in your hands to do what only you can do. If you're here today and you just say, Pastor, that's me, I I know that there are things that I've not been letting go of. Just raise your hand or hands. Hallelujah. 
hands going up all over the room. And listen, <laughs> I don't ever want to sound like this is easy. I know it's not. Living a Christian life isn't easy. The Americanized Jesus makes it sound like that. But that's not who we serve. We serve an ageless God, Jesus. And he knows what's best. And he saw those hands. And I believe he's smiling on you right now. And he wants to give you everything you need. But listen, you, you got to fight. I should have had that song, the Rocky song. He wants you to come out swinging in the spirit realm. Not to lay down and let the devil give you the, the, the tongue and the lashes. Rebuke him in the name of Jesus. Satan, I rebuke you. Get behind me in the name of Jesus. Leave this man, leave this woman alone in Jesus' name. For I am a child of God. I am protected by the angels of heaven, the ministering angels. And I am not alone. God has a plan and a purpose for my life. And I will achieve it in Jesus' name. God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Say this prayer with me if you raise your hands. Father, like Judah, I have remorse, and I repent, Lord for trying to control you. That's silly. So today, February the 11th, I stop resisting you. Have your way with me. Lord, wash over me and help me to live for you. Give me everything I need to accomplish my purpose. And even if it hurts, help me to be faithful as I go through those moments. But in the end, I know I have the victory because Jesus has already paid the price for me. I give you my life and all that I am and all that I have. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. step out here. The name that comes to mind is Sue. I, I don't know if they're here or maybe online. I don't know. But God's sharing this through me that Sue, he wants to, you to know that he was with you when you went through what you went through as the young girl. 
you weren't alone. He was with you. You may not have sensed it, but he was broken as much as you were in that moment. And he's still with you today, and he wants you to be strong. And he's just saying to me, and I believe this is for now, that just begin one step at a time, one day at a time, believing that God's got you. He's got you. You're not alone in this world. You may think you are, but you're not. He, he has watched everything you've done. He's pleased with you. And he wants you to continue to walk in him. You're going to see a future that is bright. It's coming soon. Do not give up. Your miracle is right around the corner. And I believe this is from the Lord. Heavenly Father, we again are just humbled to be here in Gaylord today, recognizing that you are truly in our midst. We all sense you. Your presence is so real and alive. And I ask, Lord, that as we leave this house of prayer today, Lord, that you would help us to take this whole spiritual attitude with us that everywhere we go Lord we're going to carry like a beacon the light of Jesus the love of God that people are going to get to know us and as they do they're going to get to know you that's our prayer that we would be ambassadors for Christ now help us Lord to do that Help us to love our families more than ever before, to love our spouses more than ever before, to love our kids, even the ones that are stinkers, more than ever before, to love that co-worker who drives us bananas every time we go to work even more, because that's how you want us to respond to those who are hurting those who are troubled, those who have not yet grabbed hold of Jesus. And help us to be there for them when that time comes. We pray this again in your precious and holy name. Amen. I think we're done. Go San Francisco. Go Kansas City. May the best team win. Love you guys.